Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to week four of this series we've called This Is Us. I hope that you have uh, enjoyed it so far. Four weeks leading up to kind of the finality of our annual relationship series. It's February. It's love month. Hope you had a great Valentine's. And we're ending this series uh, kind of a unique way, obviously, uh, on camera today. And I'm not only inviting you into week four of this series, but inviting you into our home. Brandy and I are welcoming some friends into our home. I invited uh, over and some married friends of mine as we kind of end this series talking about marriage. We've spent the last couple of weeks kind of in different uh, areas, but we're going to end with marriage today. And listen, if you're married, you need to find you some couples that you you want their marriage. You want to emulate their marriage. You want to find somebody successful. You never take Financial advice from broke people. Don't come asking me for money. Don't. You always want to go to successful people and go, man, how did you get there? And find you somebody who's been married. You know, Mark and Brenda have been married 35 years. Find somebody that's successful. Look around. If they're mean right now and not sitting together, don't ask them for help. You need to find you a couple that sits together. And if you're single and looking to get married or engaged, find you a couple and I never forget a couple in our church, Randy and Marsha, came to me several months ago and said there was a young couple years ago at another church in another state who came to them and said, hey, we love your marriage. We love to see you guys just loving on each other. And it looks like you're healthy and godly. You're serving together. And just it look, look like you really kind of have the marriage we want to have. Would you mentor us? And for the last you know d- few decades now, they have mentored this young couple sort of walked with them as they had young kids and as their kids are growing up and through adolescence. There's just something powerful about having a cadre of people, a group of people. While I'm talking about it, let me go ahead and tell you, that's why we value small groups so much here at City Hills, because you really do need a group of people who can walk along with you and sort of be in life with you and do life with you. You just can't do that alone. You're not going to be successful. So I'm excited about that. Let me jump right in. So if you uh, haven't been a part of this series yet, let me catch you up kind of where we are. Uh, We're doing this series for a couple of reasons. The primary one is because I think a lot of people have given up on relationships, honestly. And we talked about that. I I think so many people just give up too easily and they just walk away and say, you know what? It's never going to be good. It's never going to be good enough. Maybe you were raised in a house where it just wasn't good for you. You know, your, your folks may have split up or just didn't have a good marriage. Or maybe, you know, you never even lived with both parents and you thought, man, if that's marriage, I don't want that. And so many people are just walking away from relationships so easily and just giving up so easily. And there's a lot of people who just have written off the whole idea that you can have a healthy relationship. You honestly can have a God-honoring, healthy relationship with so much going on in our culture. And really, this series, I hope over the last four weeks, you've found that it's not only possible, but God sort of gives us some framework for that. And we, we talked about this for the last couple of weeks. The first one, uh, the first week we talked about your identity and sort of what it meant to have an identity in Christ, that you don't need somebody to be somebody. You, you, don't, ha- you don't have to have somebody else in your life that gives you value and identity. If you do that, you're setting yourself up for failure, that really God is who I go to for value. What God says about me is what's most important. And then uh, and in week two, we talked about being single and still honoring God, what it meant to kind of honor God as a single adult and dating and all of that, the laws of attraction and sort of the things you need to be looking for. The big idea was I need to become the person that the person I'm looking for is looking for. I always find it funny about single people. They have this long list of things they want in a spouse. And one of the first things I always say is, give me your list. And I'm going to ask you, are you becoming the person that the person you're looking for is looking for? And then last week, week three, we talked about breaking sexual strongholds and 
This is a powerful Sunday in church, sort of talking about God honoring sex. The sex isn't dirty. It's not meant to be that way, that you know, the world and culture kind of warped the idea of sex and what God says about it and being married and dating and flirting and just kind of that whole idea and really some sexual strongholds like pornography and just what it's doing to our culture and how that, that God can break that off of your life. So today we're ending with marriage. We kind of, we, we go all the way through and this is kind of the end. Of, I, I picked this specifically because Kind of as you look at relationships going all the way through, this is really God's idea. It's God's idea for one man and one woman for life. And I hope that uh, you sort of, uh, before the end of the service today, that you kind of open your eyes to that. I want to walk you through that. You kind of go through the events and the programs of our churches. The longer you walk through kind of what we do as a church, I hope that your life gets better and you start growing. I'll guarantee you this. If you'll be faithful to church, I always say it this way, if you'll give us a year of your life, you'll just say, you know what, for a year, I'm going to go all in. I'm going to go to a group. I'm going to get in a connect group like this and good, smiling, fun. They look like normal people. Come on, everybody. You can get in a group that look like this. And I'm going to go to growth track. I'm going to get on the team. I, I'm going to come to every message series. And what I hope is not that at the end of this series, you just think, man, you know, I don't know that this is possible. I hope that you look at this and think, Man, I've grown through this, and this is not only possible, but I want the kind of relationship that he's talking about. Uh, Jesus would ask this question uh, about, uh, about relationships and kind of the, the, the teachers came to him, the, the lawmakers came to him, and they said, Jesus, tell us, can you sum up the whole law and the prophets together? Like if you were to take the whole Bible and put it all in one sentence, can you do that? And honestly, they were trying to trap him and trick him, and Jesus said, sure, I think I can do that. I think I can make it in one sentence. And he would say this, that if you sum up everything about the Bible, that, that you do it in, in these two commandments, that you love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and strength, and that you love your neighbor as yourself. And then he said something so remarkable. He said, these two are intertwined, like, like you can't have one without the other, that there's this idea that you love God best, listen close, that you love God best when you love other people right, and you love other people right when you love God best. How many of you would say that my marriage is better when my relationship with God is better? Amen, everybody? Like, like my, I, when I love people right, when I get this right, then this gets right. And then when I get this right, this gets right. That These are kind of intertwined. And here's what I found. There's so many people, maybe you're in church today and you're thinking, man, this is sort of what's wrong is that this relationship isn't right. My marriage relationship is struggling and not right. And it's affecting my relationship with God. And I really want to help you sort of walk through that today. There's a chapter in the Bible that you probably had at your wedding. It's so funny. Every time I do weddings, most of the time the bride will say, hey, can you read that, that, that chapter, that love chapter? They don't really know where it is in the Bible. It's found in 1 Corinthians 13. It's known as the love chapter. And everybody kind of wants this. How many of you guys had this in your wedding when you did? Yeah, shake your head. Maybe you had this in your wedding that way too. Like, I, I want you to read what this is about. And, and I, I, want, I, you know, I, I want to talk about love. It's so important. So many people talk about falling in love. I think that's a, it's the funniest sentence to me. People, people always say, Pastor, this is how we fell in love. Before today, we sort of, in our group, we sort of talked about how did you meet? How did you fall in love? Falling in love is such a funny idea because... We talk about falling in love like you fall in a ditch, everybody. <laughs> like you, you don't just happen over love and go, oh my gosh, I had no idea what happened. I just fell into love right there. It doesn't happen that way. And if you look at 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, you'll think, man, how do I just fall into this? Here's what it says. 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 7 says, love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, and love never fails. Love always protects. 
always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, and then love never fails. Now, I know what you're thinking. Right off the bat, you're thinking that there's a reason why people want this read at their wedding <laughs> because after that day, nobody remembers it. There's no way I can do that. Like, there's just no way that I can do all the stuff in there. There's no way it can always be that way. But let me tell you, let me be very upfront with you. I honestly believe that if you'll let God work in your life in a great way and you'll let God be the center of your marriage and you'll center your whole relationships around God, I really think he'll give you the power to do what you think to be impossible. That you sort of get to the end of your marriage, you'll get 35 years or 40 years or 50 years into your marriage or 60, 70 years and on, you know, sort of the downward slide, you know, there you are laying in bed together in a nursing home gumming your food. You know what I'm talking about? And holding hands across the recliners together. You'll be able to look back and go, you know what? It seemed impossible on our wedding day when we read it, but we've lived the last 50, 60 years doing just that. That love was able to endure that way. Matter of fact, I'm gonna I'm gonna share with you sort of some biblical ideas about how that can happen. Uh, I would we go through the message. I want you to think that you know not oh my gosh there it is again. There's that impossible thing. There, there's there's just no way we can do that. I want you to sort of go through this message saying hey I think I can do this. I think we can apply that in our life. I really think it's I really think that it's possible for us to do that. When when I started praying and, and talking about this message, I, I wrote down a couple of things that I think would help you make love last. Brandy and I have been married 18 years this year and almost 20 years. Everybody, that's worth a big hang. That's yeah, 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 yeah. They're all clapping for her. You're all clapping for her because you know living with me can't be that easy. So uh, when I sort of sat down, I thought, man, what are the things that sort of got us through that, that you know, th those 20 years or those 35 years or, or, or maybe just those three years like Eric and Madeline or just under a year like Joel and Gloria or maybe wherever you are, you're, you're looking at marriage or maybe you've been married longer than everybody here in my group. But I just thought, what are the things that sort of are enduring? Because the truth is there's some hard years. How many of you raise your hand and say you had some hard years, everybody? Like y'all are just in first year and there's already some hard months. You know what I mean? Like like some hard days. And 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 man, those first couple of years for Brandy and I, I read the statistic the other day that years five through nine are the hardest on a marriage. And I think that's primarily because of, of, you know, kids kind of introducing, which by the way, if you're newly married, five to nine years is a good time to start having kids. But I think, you know, life just, you know, you get used to not being single and now you're married and now this little tiny, you know, dictator comes into your life and like <laughs> takes over your whole world. And then you spend a couple of years sort of walking through that and it gets hard. But here's a few things that I wrote down. These are not exhaustive. Once you take good notes today, these are not exhaustive, but I want you to write down. I just come up with five things that I think help love last. And then we're going to go to the Bible and, and we'll kind of end our time together looking at a story. Here's the first one. If you're taking notes, write this down. I think your relationship will get a whole lot better. I think it's possible that love can last in your life. With these five things, number one, make a covenant commitment. Would you write that down? I want you to make a covenant commitment. I really think everybody, when they look at marriage and they look at relationships, everybody values commitment. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think anybody would say, I didn't know that was coming. Like, I didn't know I was supposed to be committed. But here's the truth of the matter. You only need commitment when you don't want to do something. You only need to be committed to something when you don't want to do it. It's not really commitment when I like what I'm doing because I just enjoy this anyway. Look into my eyes, everybody. It takes commitment to go to the gym. Come on, somebody. Nobody just says, I love this. I do this because I love smelling this way. I love feeling this way. This is just a, listen, the best part of going to the gym is when you leave, everybody. That's what I'm talking about. It takes commitment 
to go every day. You don't need commitment on the good days. Listen to me. You need commitment on the tough days. You need to have a covenant commitment. I always say it this way. There's some days in marriage that are wow days, and then there's some days that are vow days. You know what I'm talking about? And sometimes you're going to have vow seasons, vow months, maybe even vow years. I remember first hearing a story about Mark and Brendan and some of the struggles in their life over 35 years of marriage and the ups and downs and the highs and lows and business and raising children. And then, and then there were certain circumstances in their family, you know, sickness and just tough parts. And those aren't just vow days or vow hours. You may live a year or two thinking, this is not what I thought it was going to be, but I've made a covenant commitment and I'm not walking out just because it gets hard. Just because I've had a hard day or or a hard week or a hard month or just because this has been a hard year. I'm going to make a commitment. Listen, you will never have a great relationship with your spouse. Listen, close married people. You will not have a great relationship in your spouse or really honestly any other relationship in your life until you make a commitment to it. Until you just say, this is what's going to happen. Like, I'm not going to walk away. Like, the power of this relationship is that there's safety in this relationship. The power of our marriage is that I I know that even when the times get hard, even when things get tough, there's safety that you're not going to just walk out because it's too hard to do anymore. You're not just going to give up just because, you know, this is a tough season or just I have a friend's uh, right now whose baby, this is their third child baby uh, and, and, and their baby's in the NICU. And for four and a half months so far, their third baby has been in, in the NICU. And this, this is hard. This is tough. And this is straining on a marriage. And it's so difficult for a family to walk through. But there's safety to know that even when this is unstable, I, we're stable. Right. The, our relationship is secure. Like there's safety right there. There's a covenant commitment right there. When Brandy and I fight, this is what I tell her, you ask her all the time. When Brandy and I fight, I tell her, listen, you can leave if you want to, but I'm coming with you. So we might as well like, we're just going to be together fighting somewhere else. I, I mean, I always tell her, let, what, let, we know that neither of us are leaving. So let's go ahead and get up to that makeup part. Come on, somebody. You know what I'm talking about? Like, let's just skip over all the yelling and get right to that makeup part because I'm not going anywhere The first thing you need to do is make a covenant commitment. Here's the second thing. If you're taking notes, write this down. You need to celebrate your differences. Celebrate your differences. There's five things I think would help your love last as we end this series. Celebrate your differences. You don't, listen, God made you differently. God by design made men and women differently. We're kind of in this cultural war right now of, of, and I'm not talking about equality in the workplace or equality of opportunity. Obviously, I believe in that. But God made us different, everybody. And He made us different by design. Like there's something that you have that your spouse doesn't. And there's something that your spouse has that you don't. And, and there's, there's something about... Here's the, I always call it this. There's a compatibility myth in, in, in our world today that says, man, I want somebody that I'm compatible with. I want somebody who loves everything I love, who likes their coffee just like I like my coffee. I, I'm an early morning person, so I want an early morning person. I like to go to bed early, you guys, and so I want somebody that goes to bed early with me, or I like to vacate. I like to fish. I want somebody that fishes with me. There's nothing wrong with finding somebody with common interests, but listen, there's also nothing wrong with you celebrating the differences that you have in your life. That we don't have to be the same. Listen, you don't need to be married to you, everybody. You know what I'm talking about? Like, you don't need to be married to you. You need to be married to them. And you don't need to, to, you're constantly strife and constantly fighting and bickering and there's problems over 
your differences. I want you to learn how to celebrate your differences. Brandon and I, this is so funny. I don't know if this is true in your home, but in this home, when she's cold, I'm hot. Is that anybody else here? Like, is it like it's always one or the other. Like, whatever it is, if I'm hungry, I'm like, baby, we got to go eat right now. She's like, ah, I'm fine. I had a snack six hours ago, and I'm, I don't need anything right now. There's all there's just there's this the idea that opposites attract, and and I don't know if that's true or not, but I do know this that there's sometimes you just need to celebrate your differences. Listen, even what we say sometimes means something different. When Brandy says, listen to me, man, I'm gonna help you right here. All you married men in the room, I'm gonna help you. When Brandy says, I don't have anything to wear, Here's what she means. She means I need a new outfit. You know what I'm trying to say? Like, that's what that means. This is code word for I'm going to need something new. When I say I don't have anything to wear, I literally mean nothing's clean or I can't fit into nothing. That's what I mean. Like, I don't mean I need something new. I just mean nothing's washed. Like, we're just different. And we got to learn how to celebrate those differences if we're going to have a love that lasts. Everybody say amen to that. You understand what I'm talking about there. Here's the third thing. Take good notes. Here's the third thing. You're either going to allow your differences to irritate you or they're going to, you know, you're going to appreciate them. And in doing that, the best thing, here's the third thing, write this down, is you got to work on your communication. You got to work on your communication. You got to work on talking it out. One of the, one of the things that Brandon and I, early on in our marriage, I really had to come to grips with is even though I'm a preacher, even though it seems as though communication is sort of my livelihood, I really had to work on communication. Not communication like this in front of an audience, but communication with her how I talk and what we say and how we now talk to our kids and, and do I communicate clearly enough? I work on it in our staff and in our team. Are we communicating clearly enough? You got to work on it. Listen, I, I honestly think that most of the problems in families today, I don't know if you found this to be true in your marriage, can be solved by just healthy communication. Like if you just would have told me that or you would have told me that differently or I would have known that. Anybody in the room ever had like uh, an event scheduled that your spouse didn't tell you about, they didn't communicate and you feel unprepared. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And like they don't, they don't have the Brady's raising their hand. They have no idea. And I'm like, oh yeah, we're meeting so-and-so in 20 minutes for lunch. Like there's just, and now there's this big fight and now it's a day's worth of, you know, the cold shoulder and somebody sleeping on the couch. I won't say who, but me. And, and, and it all could have just happened if we just would have had a time of communication better, just worked on that communication. I read this the other day that the average couple, the average married couple only spends four minutes a day in meaningful conversation. Can you believe that? Four minutes a day in meaningful conversation. And it's, 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 it's just not enough, everybody. I don't mean conversation like who's taking the kids where and what did you pack for lunch and, and you know, what time will you be home? I mean meaningful conversation. How's your day? What's going on in your world? What's happening? What happened at work today? And, and I know there's different, uh, there's differences about men and women on this. <laughs> I've been studying for this. I read that the average woman a day, the average woman speaks 30,000 words a day, everybody. Men, just look straight at me. None of you men do anything. Just look right at me right now. The average man speaks 15,000 words a day. The average woman speaks 30,000. The average man speaks 15,000. Here's what I found, at least in my world. I, I use all 15,000 of my words before I get home. I come home. I'm just out. Like, I don't have any more words to say, everybody. Brandy saves about 29,000 of her words until I get home. Like she's got All of her words she's been saving up for me when I get home. And so now we have this... Now we have this struggle that could turn, really honestly, could turn into something in our marriage. If you're not careful, it just builds up this animosity that, 
you never talked to me or we never, we never communicated. And honestly, it's just our differences that, you know, I've used up all my words. I only have 15,000 of them and I've used them all up. I don't have any more to say. And so I'll come in and I'll lay my back down. I'll have a couple of meetings or, you know, working through or studying or just, you know, planning and working with our team. And, and Brandon say, how was your day? And I'll just say, it's okay. And honestly, it's because I've used 15,000 words. Like I just don't have anything else to say. And she's wanting meaningful conversation. She wants us to be working on that communication. And, and I'm going to help you. Matter of fact, I'm going to help you guys uh, with this. A date night is a great way to do this. So you need to write that down. Like if you're not doing that, this is something that we started, especially after we had kids. We just said, look, we're going we're gonna to pay for a sitter. We're going to pay somebody to come in and keep the kids. And we're not going to feel guilty. They're going to eat peanut butter and jelly. And we're going somewhere without a kid's menu, everybody. You know what I'm saying? And I don't feel guilty. I don't, I don't feel guilty that we eat nice and they're at home eating hot dogs because... We're going to sit across the table from one another and it's going to be about the nice meal and we're going to have a good time. It's going to be about a movie that we go see, but really it's going to be about that, that working on communication. Just a chance where we're uninterrupted talking to one another and going through our schedules. We do this with our finances. We sit down every week and even though you know you may be the one in your marriage that handles the finances, I am in our marriage, but Brandy, we just sit down and talk about it. Hey, here's where we are. Here's kind of you know where we moved around. Here's where the bills, here's kind of what, just that communication so she's apart and we're talking about it. Or our schedules. One of the best things we ever did was sit down at the beginning of every week on Sunday night and go, hey, what do you have this week? Just five minutes of looking at her calendar and my calendar so we're communicating back and forth. Let me help you with this, men. Write this down. All the men in the room, I'm getting ready for this. This is probably the most profound thing and the deepest thing I'm going to say today. Men, married men, if you want a better marriage, a love that lasts, you want to go 30, 40, 50 years, write these four words that will change your life. Men, write them as big as you can. These are the four words that will change your marriage. You ready for this? Especially as it relates to communication. Look at me in the eyes. And then what happened? <laughs> like... <laughs> Just keep asking, and then what happened? Just keep that communication going, everybody. Here's the fourth thing I gotta hurry. Five things I think that'll just help you make love last. The fourth thing is you gotta feed the romance. Write that down. Feed the romance. Feed the romance. You gotta feed it. You gotta feed the romance fire of your marriage, everybody. Listen, you cannot just say, well, we don't have what we used to have. Look at me. If you don't have what you used to have, it's because you're not doing what you used to do, everybody. Yeah. Like if you don't have the body you had when you were 20, it's probably because you're not doing what you're doing when you were 20. If you don't have the marriage you used to have, it's because you're not doing the things you used to do. You got to feed that romance. Listen to me. If you got a fireplace in your home and the fire's lit and it's roaring and it's warm and it's a cold winter night and the longer it goes on, that fire begins to diminish. You can't at some point in the night curse at the fireplace because the fire went out. Mm -hmm. And so many people curse at their marriage, the fireplace because the fire went out. You gotta feed that fire, everybody. You gotta go outside, get you some logs and put that on that fire, you know what I'm saying? You need to get you some Marvin Gaye playlists. <laughs> you need to get you some roses, everybody. You need to get some chocolates. You need, you know what I'm saying? You gotta feed that romance. Now, I don't wanna be crude, but let me just be honest with you. Let me be very clear with you on this. Brandy and I don't leave this to chance. Like we don't leave this to chance. We don't just leave this for a feeling, everybody. We feed the romance. If you wait for a feeling, you'll be waiting a whole long time. And before you know it, now there's problems and a drift in your marriage because you didn't feed the romance, everybody. It, it, you'll be sitting by the fire one day and, you know, that coziness, that warmness of that fire, and then it just slowly diminishes. If you don't get up from where you are, 
get a log and put it on the fire, like put some work into there and feed that romance to everybody. Don't let your feelings drive this process. I don't feel like it. Listen, some of y'all have had a headache for every night for the last six years. You need to get an MRI. You need to work on that, everybody. You got to feed the romance. Here's the fifth thing. The fifth thing is you got to put Jesus at the center. Write that down. You got to put Jesus at the center. I know that it sounds like the most important. I saved it for last because it is the most important. You got to put Jesus at the center. Here's what Psalm says, Psalms 127 and 1. It says, unless the Lord builds the house, honestly, those who build it labor in vain. In other words, you can live your whole life trying to build a marriage that if you don't let God build that marriage, put Jesus at the center, you can spend all of your time and it will crash and burn every time. You just have to put Jesus at the center of, you're just wasting your time. You got to go back to the inventor of the process and go, how's this thing supposed to work? Like, it's not what I think it's supposed to do. You say, well, you know, I got this car from the dealership. I know that, the, you know, Ford manufactured this, but I think I know better. No, you don't know better how to fix that. Take it back where you got it. Go back to God and go, God, you, you, this was your idea. One man, one woman for the rest of our lives. What are we doing here that we, we got to put you back in the center of this one? You stood in front of a, a, you know, a preacher and you were in white and he was, you know, in that tux that he can't fit in no more. And y'all were staring at one another. Your preacher said something like this, that a threefold cord can't easily be broken. He wouldn't talk about him. He was talking about God that was present in this covenant, this ceremony that you're saying, hey, it's husband and wife and Jesus at the center of this. It's just so important. In order for your relationship to work, you got to go back to God. you got to say, God, speak into this. God, tell me what marriage is all about. God, tell me what's going on in my life. Let me let you know a little secret about this, everybody. God defines your marriage with one single word. He, he defines it one single word. This is kind of where we're going to land today. And I want to walk you through that word. That one word is covenant. It's the word we started with today. Write that in your notes. We talked about a covenant commitment, not, listen, not a casual commitment, not a convenient commitment, but a covenant commitment. I want you to understand covenant. This is where we'll land. It's in the, the Old Testament book of Malachi. It's the last book of the Old Testament. Right when, you, when you flip over from there, you're in Matthew, you're talking about Jesus and the birth of Christ. But Malachi is this Old Testament prophet. And honestly, this book, the book of Malachi, paints this horrible picture of kind of what's going on, of reality. It's almost like God is showing us, hey, listen, uh, it, you can't do this without us. Like all of the Old Testament's now written about, you know, trying to get to God and, and, and the Israelites attempt to kind of, you know, their sins are rolled ahead, but they're just trying to get to God and please God. And honestly, Malachi, the last book of that Old Testament just says, hey, you can do this on your own. Like you just, it's just not going to be, it's just failure on top of failure. You just keep sinning. There's just, you just can't keep the laws and the rules without him. And so here's how Malachi, the second chapter, Malachi 2 and verse 13, here's what it said. Listen to what the Lord says, and then I'm going to walk you through this. It says, you flood the Lord's altar with tears and you weep and wail. Listen to this, because he no longer looks with favor on your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. So you're at church. Here's what the Bible says. You're at church. You're crying and weeping. God, why aren't you blessing this? God, what's going on in my life? Where's the favor of God that was on my life? Where's the blessings of God? And you start asking why. And here's God's answer. Listen close. You ask why. It's because the Lord, listen, to this is so powerful. It's because the Lord is a witness between you and your wife. 
Honestly, Malachi says, you're going to God going, God, where's the blessings of God? God, where's the favor of God in my life? Where's all this stuff going on? And God says, it's because I'm watching your relationship. I'm watching your marriage. And because of what's wrong in your marriage, because of your relationship with the wife of your youth, I can bless you. One of the things I love about my job, honestly, is that, is that I know, I know week in and week out, there are going to be people who reject these messages. I know every time I stand in front of you and I have the opportunity to preach the gospel to you, I know that there are going to be a percentage of people who just say, that's not for me. That's just, I'm not going to do that. Or, or he's talking to somebody else. But the thing I love most about my job is that you'll come back. You'll come back. It's one of the hardest things when I see couples that you know are struggling and they just think, oh man, that's not for me. We don't need that right now. And they walk away from church. One of the most rewarding things is being your pastor is that I know when I see you walk back in that door, it's because you think, man, I've tried everything else. Like here I am weeping and, and crying and going, God, what, what's going on in my life? Like where are the blessings of God in my life? And God goes, hey, I've been watching your relationship. I've been noticing there's some stuff inside of you. Listen, I want to create a church. This is the thing I wanted so much. Brandy and I, we were praying about launching this church. I wanted to create a church where people could come home to everybody. Like where people could always come back. I didn't just want a church where people could come to. I wanted the church where people could come back to. Like where when you mess up and you fail and you feel like, man, I I walked away when I should have leaned in. That's okay. You can come back. And not only are we going to be standing on the front porch with high fives and big smiles, but I really believe God standing there going, hey, I, I can fix what's wrong with you. Maybe that's where you are today. You're back again. Bringing your marriage back, bringing your relationships back, going, okay, God, tell me what's going on. There are tears right now falling out of your eyes going, where's the blessing that I thought this was going to be? Where's the favor? And God goes, hey, I'm watching your relationship. I want to fix it. I want to make it right. I want you to have a covenant relationship. And so here's what he says. Here's what he says. He says, you've been unfaithful to her. This continues on in, in, in Malachi, the second chapter. He says, you've been unfaithful to her, the man to his wife. Though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage, here it is, covenant, has not the one God made you. Like God made this thing. You didn't just come up with this and find her in some dance hall somewhere. Like God made this. That's a good story that that, that Mark and Brenda found each other in a dance hall. Their kids may not know that. I may be telling all their secrets right now. He said, no, 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 God made this. Like the one God made you, you belong to Him, body and spirit. And what does the one God seek? And this is so interesting. It says He seeks godly offspring. You know what that means? It means that the choices inside of your marriage affect more than you. Nothing happens in a vacuum. Your marriage doesn't suffer in a vacuum. Now your kids are suffering. Now, now your offspring. He said, listen, I care about you. I made you. I made this marriage. But not just that. I care about the generations that are looking back to you going, hey, man, my grandparents, what I love about their love. And it was 60 years strong or 70 years strong. I love about my parents is even when times got tough, they stuck it out. So be on your guard. Look back in your Bible. So be on your guard. And do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. The man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect. This is such an interesting passage, says the Lord Almighty. So be on your guard and don't be unfaithful. In other words, listen close. In a moment where where you really didn't like them, when you really thought you had enough, in the moment that you thought, I am done, 
That's the moment, listen, when you need them the most. That's when the covenant kicked in because every relationship that matters in your life, you were supposed to protect it and the Bible said you did violence against it. Now, I'm not talking about spousal abuse and neither is the Bible. It's talking about you literally do violence against the covenant of marriage when you give up too easy. The thing you were supposed to protect now you just kind of walk away and you just say, man, this has gotten hard. And listen, it's, it's always easier. Have you noticed it's easier to defend somebody who's a blood relative of yours? Everybody ever said that? You ever, heard the, you ever heard the saying that blood is thicker than water? Have you ever heard that? You know why that is? Because there's this idea of a blood covenant. Matter of fact, in, in ancient times when they would stand in a marriage, and we're concluding our time together today, when they would stand in a marriage, they would literally cut their hands. You've heard it called cut covenant. I'm going to cut covenant with you. They would literally cut their hands and they would push their two hands together in marriage, trying to mingle those, that blood. And it wouldn't work, obviously. You just couldn't do that. And so they would wrap a scarf around it. This is true. They would wrap a scarf around it, tie it tight, signifying that we're pushing these two bloods together. Why? Listen close. Because marriage is a covenant that's like blood. It's easy to walk away from somebody you're not related to. It's easy to give up on a relationship when you say, oh, I just married them because we just met. Oh, I just married them. You know, I, I didn't know what I was doing. We were young. We were dumb. And now, no, no, no. Listen, God said, I want this to be a covenant that it's, it's not just somebody we're related by marriage. We're blood. Like we made a covenant together. Like we, 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 we made a covenant together. Let me give you three things and then I'll let you go today. Let me give you three things that a covenant relationship is different. Write these three things down. Three distinctions of God's covenant in your marriage. Covenant is based on mutual commitment. Covenant is based on mutual commitment. It means I'm going to be committed to you even when I'm unhappy. I'm happy to work it out. A contract is based on mutual distrust. It's like, you ever read the bottom of a contract? They assume that you're walking out. Like, here's what we're going to do to you if you break this contract. Some people go into marriage that way. You know, they're, they're signing all this stuff. People see their relationships as like, man, I know you're probably going to walk out. So this, I'm just going to make a contract with you. Now, marriage is not a contract, everybody. Built on mistrust, it's a covenant. It's a mutual commitment. It's saying, hey, I, listen, I'm not going to divorce. <laughs> I love this. I'm not going to divorce you. When, when, you, when, you, when you sat you know, in, front of, in that church and you sat in front of the preacher, you said, for better or worse, until what? Until, until death does us part. Literally, I can't divorce you. I can just kill you. That's the only way I can get out of this. Like, <laughs> like I got to kill you to get out of this, everybody. Because I am mutual. Listen, we're, we're going to stay in this. That's a covenant. It's not a contract. Here's the second thing. A covenant surrenders rights and assumes responsibilities. A covenant surrenders rights and assumes responsibilities. A contract, it protects my rights and it shirks my responsibilities. A contract says, I'm always right. I got the right to be happy. I got the right to do this. I got, I got the right for all that. Listen, you can be right, but you can also be alone. A covenant says, we're going to stick this out. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to let go. I'm going to surrender my rights to be right. I'm going to assume my responsibility. Here's the last thing. A covenant has the interest of the other person in mind. A covenant has the interest of somebody else in mind. I heard someone say that the greatest relationship of the world is when two servants are in love. And the most destructive relationship in the world are when two masters are in love. Like when there's two people trying to be right, two, two, two people that are most concerned about their interests. A covenant has the interest of the other in mind. A contract just has my personal convenience in mind. 
my personal convenience. I'll leave you with this two, two, two final thoughts and then I'll pray for you. Here's two final things. Listen close. Here's two final things. You need to be inside of a covenant. What covenant is so important? It's why we believe in covenant membership here, honestly. If you've ever been in the growth track, you know this. We talk about next week, you can jump on the growth track, our first uh, uh, growth track of, of every month on the first Sunday of the month, growth track step one. You can jump in next Sunday during second service. We talk about covenant membership because because it's just so important to us that, hey, look, we're in this together. This is not a contract based on a role or position or a title. I'm husband, I'm wife, I'm member. No, I'm in covenant with you. It's just so important. Let me give you two, two final thoughts and then I'll let you go. Number one, love is not a feeling, it's a choice. Good. Love is not a feeling, it's a choice. I'm amazed at how many people sort of live their whole lives based on their feelings. Colossians 3 says, And over all of these virtues put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. Put on love. It didn't say when you feel love, you'll be able to bind these virtues together. It said you got to choose to put it on, everybody. you got to choose to put on love. It is not a feeling. You can't. We are not feelings-based. Listen to me. We are not feelings-driven people. I don't do what I feel. If I do what I felt, I wouldn't be here today. I don't do what I feel. I feel like I'm good enough for this or I'm not feel like I'm good enough for that. No, no, no. I made a commitment. Listen, it's a choice. Love is a choice, not a feeling. Here's the second thing and the last thing. The capacity to love comes from receiving love. Your capacity to love comes from your ability to receive love. Here's the way 1 John 4.19 says it, that we love each other because He first loved us. That that you you can't have a healthy marriage today. You can't have real, genuine covenant love today if you don't first get your relationship with God right. I want to help you through that today. Matter of fact, bow your heads all over the room. I want to pray for you. I want to end today kind of a unique way. I want to pray a passage over you in the Bible. There's sometimes that there are prayers. Listen, I want to pray this over you. Just bow your heads, everybody. Close your eyes. Our host is on the way back to the stage. But I want to pray this over you. Ephesians 3 says, I pray that Christ will be more and more at home in your heart. That's my prayer for you today. That Christ would be more and more at home in your heart, living within you. As you trust Him, trust Him with your marriage, trust Him with what's broken in you, trust Him with the hurt and the heartache and the pain of your past. May your roots, listen to this prayer over you, may your roots go deep into the soil of God's marvelous love. And may you be able to feel and understand because you chose this, you put your roots down into this love, now the feelings start sprouting up. May you feel and understand how long and how wide and how deep and how high His love really is, and experience this love for yourselves. In Jesus' name, amen.